0: The AP Podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records, the home to new releases from Leathermouth, Frank from My Chemical Romance's new side project of Screamy Anx Punk. The debut album from Leathermouth is released January 27th. <laughs> and Screamo Icon's Thursday, with their first full-length record in three years, Common Existence. Currently headlining Taste of Chaos with Bring Me the Horizon, Common Existence comes out February 17th. For more information on these and other new releases, sign on to Epitaph.com. There's a great new book out called The Rock Bible, written by Chunklet editor Henry Owings. The book is described as unholy scripture for fans and bands, and it reads like a how-to, what-to-do, and what-not-to-do satiric look at the life of a rock band, and dealing with fans, and dealing with each other, and surviving on the road and in the studio. I highly recommend this book to any musician out there, and if you're a fan, Go buy it for one of your favorite musicians and give it to them for their birthday the next time you see them in town. Look, they probably have enough teddy bears anyway. Anyway, in this chapter, uh, it's called The Gospel According to the Band, Psalm 306 reads, here we go, when a piece of equipment breaks in the middle of a show, if you look at your road crew roadie helper friend before you look at the piece of equipment, your inability to take care of your own stage mishaps has matched your inability to perform on stage. They're officially called road technicians, but usually techs are even more broadly defined as roadies. These people are the nurses of that musical operating room known as the main stage. These these people are kind of like the Florence Nightingales of many musicians' careers, and they're very, very unsung heroes of music, nightly tending to broken guitar strings, or mic chords tangled around the lead singer's legs in the middle of a show, or maybe dealing with cracked cymbals after the third song on the set, and sometimes even to have to tear a psycho fan off a band member after they've leapt onto the stage deciding that a piggyback ride from all-time low bassist Zach Garrick would just be the ultimate dream come true. Or maybe they're even bigger martyrs, and they get to be promoted up to tour manager, A usually thankless job that is on the clock 24-7 as there's always, always something that has to be either shipped or a box of merch to be found or a drummer to be taken to the emergency clinic for a split-open thumb at 2 a.m. after a bar fight. And they get to keep the band's daily cash flow organized somehow. Just what these accounting class flunkies want to do when they graduated high school, I'm sure. 22-year-old Seattle native Dakota Cole, or Dakota with an H as his fellow roadies call him, has been either a backline tech, a guitar tech, a stage manager, or a tour manager for the past four years, traveling the world and seeing things his old high school friends are still only dreaming of doing at this point in their lives. He's worked with uh, Aiden, Chiotos, and the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. He's worked the 13 main stage during the 2007 Warp Tour and is right now out on the road tour managing Sonny Moore on the Interparty System Tour. Dakota is the first tech we've been able to bring to the AP Podcast, and I seriously cannot wait to interview the next. Each of these people have a book in them, full of stories, dramatic and sometimes scandalous, of the majority of the musicians featured in AP every month. But more importantly than all that TMZ news that they know, They literally, literally are the life support system for any musician. And you thought it was the girlfriend. This is Mike Shea. So you probably want to do a level check, John. I take
1: okay. two, two. Hey, how are you doing today, John? Awesome. <laughs> said like <laughs> that's good. I am having an awesome day too. These last this last week's been really good. As soon as we played our New York show, all the stress level just went straight down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you said that just and you and you did your test just like a like a tech. Yeah, two, two. All right, ready, John? Okay. Um, you know, that's actually. Uh, I was just thinking about that. Um, uh, probably a really good question to ask. But is there sort of uh, any of uh, r- r- you know, like you know, like when you're young, you watch football players and they call off the shots, you know, and they call off the numbers, and and uh, and you're young and you don't know what the hell that means. You're like, oh, they're just making numbers up or what? And then you get older and you kind of learn there's a mythology to it, and there's they're calling out plans and things and so forth, and and um, and for you. Uh, For text, when you guys do those, you know, those things on the stage and you're doing sound checks and you're saying two and two and four and four, there's got to be a method like are certain numbers doing something to test certain signal, or are you guys just saying anything into the microphone?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a lot of just saying stuff in the microphone. Uh, Our sound guys will get up there and a lot of them know frequencies with their voices and stuff that they're looking for. But when we're just doing a straight line check right before the band goes on, it's usually it's usually whatever comes into your head. Our our drum tech actually has been whatever city we're in, he'll find out what that city hates, like another city's sports team and we'll say like when we were in New York or in New York, he was saying, Hey, what's up, Red Sox Nation? you know, let's go <laughs> <laughs> and everybody will just chant like and just hate him so much. So, um but yeah, it's just whatever you can think of off the top of your head real fast just so you can get it done and making sure everything works and sounds correct, you know?
0: Because I was talking to Jason the other night when we were at Jack's Mannequin, and I was saying they were playing reggae music mm-hmm. during the, before the show, and I said, you know, this takes me back to the 90s because anytime you went and saw any major act, there was always reggae music playing in between the act or before the show. And I'm like, is it, I just thought it was like... All the guys that were on the road were into reggae music, and he's like, "No, they're actually checking yeah. the bassline stuff for something or another."
1: Yeah, it, uh, a lot of uh, sound guys will take, you know, certain songs they know and what it's supposed to sound like to check the PA, and that way, everything else will sound accordingly to that, making sure, you know, the bass is at a right level with that song, and the high end is where it needs to be. Um, we uh on this tour we've been checking with uh, Toto's Africa and some Jeff Buckley actually, which are both amazing songs. But I'm really sick of them <laughs> now. So
0: my so we have just we have just done the first chapter for Concerts for Dummies. Um, yeah. So uh, that's great. Hey, I learned something today. <laughs> first of all, thanks for doing this because this yeah. is actually um, you are our first tech, and um, I actually find the guys that are on. Uh, uh, You know, doing the doing the tech work on the road for bands and so forth. Um, Just some of the most fascinating people because you guys really are. um, You guys are like the nurses uh, of the of the stage. Um, And uh, if you really want to know what the hell's going on on up there, or or if uh, you want to find out uh, if something's busted, or if or if there's some uh, uh, drama with the promoter, or who knows what, it's usually the techs that know everything.
1: Yeah, that's. uh... This is pretty much how it goes, just because we live at the stage all day long, and, you know, we're there every day, but uh, let me say thank you guys for having me. This is honestly the coolest thing that I've ever gotten to do while touring. Really? Yeah, this this is definitely like top thing I've ever you know gotten to do, like sitting down here with you guys. And... Well, we'll see after the hour. So see if you oh. still feel that way. We'll be, we'll, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. So, um,
0: so you know, music critics they say are failed musicians, and movie critics are failed movie makers, and restaurant critics are failed chefs. So are 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 techs failed musicians?
1: Um, or I I'm I'm not. I don't think so. But there there are a lot of people out there that have given up playing to work on the road i think it's more of a money thing i mean a lot of it's not so much that they're a failed musician it's just they couldn't you know establish that into a career like they could do doing sound or doing guitars for a band so i mean yeah i mean i'm not necessarily a failed musician i never really played i played the saxophone in high school and that was it and i just kind of got into helping friends fix their stuff and that's where it took off So
0: do you ever get, like, you ever see, like, uh, any other techies or roadies or, you know, those guys that are out there, like, you know, that guy can't play guitar, I could play better than that, you know, man.
1: Well, a lot of guys that work in venues, yeah. Really? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the older guys that are just jaded and been, just been there for way too long, but they're mad about everything, you know. (laughs) So it's not just that.
0: So yeah, is there is there like why do why do people get jaded like that when they like why do those guys like when, like how is there a way to kind of you think to to kind of like grow older in the business and not get cynical and jaded and burn out and bitter? Yeah,
1: I think there's a lot of people there's a few people I know personally that are, you know, they have been doing it for a long time. My mentor, uh this guy named Kit from Port Townsend where I grew up is, you know, he's ex- just as excited about music every time I see him. Um that, you know, as he, when he was a kid, you know, and he's been doing this before I was even thought about being brought into this world, you know, so, and that's awesome. So there's a, there's quite a few people out there that are still, still doing it because they love it. And that's awesome. So like, what do you think causes them to get burnt out like that? Just being around it for too long. I mean, there there's always times where you have to take a step back and reevaluate the situation as far as, you know, do I still love this like I did? Do I still enjoy running 50-foot cables, you know, to the other <laughs> side of the stage every single day of my life? You know, it's it's a fine line. And I think, you know, they say that some a lot of people can't do this job, but it takes an even stronger person to keep doing the job, I believe. So, I mean, not to make you sound... I don't want to... You know, I'm not trying
0: to make you sound presumptuous or or arrogant or anything like that. So, but I'm just... It's one of those, like, unspoken things in the music industry, especially the music industry, I think, um, where uh, you see it a lot with music critics. Like, a lot of newspapers... Um, There's a bunch of newspapers that got sued because they fired the music critics because they were, they were too old. They guys had gotten in their 50s and they were trying to send them to Fall Out Boy concerts. And... um, so they would fire the music critics and hire younger people that they thought were more attuned to whatever the new generation of entertainment right. was and and so they were getting fired or they were getting sued for ageism and age discrimination um so do you think that there is something in the music industry where you know you get you, you 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 like you hit a certain point and you should start reevaluating it or do you think it's just kind of comes down to like you know if you're young in mind then you'll be fine regardless of what age you are and
1: I think being young in mind, you'll be fine, you know, as long as, as long as you're still holding on to the same principles and it's not just about a paycheck anymore. And that's, that's where I see a lot of people fall off. It's just, you know, it's become, okay, this is my weekly paycheck and this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do my job, but I'm not going to go for the extra, you know, the extra yards. like, it's, you know, a lot of these dudes aren't, you know, when the scene started coming up, a lot of people weren't trying to find out about these new bands. They didn't care, like and it's been repeated over and over and over as soon as you know a new kind of music comes in like right. Molly I, crew was coming up no one would cover them it's you know all these people were doing covering other things and now that this fallout boy generation of kids has come up a lot of music critics critics can't talk today <laughs> a lot of music critics and you know even other people that were doing huge bands like three doors down and these radio rock bands are like oh whatever that you know this band is never going to sell out an arena and now look what happened and you're out of a job so i think you know just staying staying with your principles and you know just keep a uh, keep it on with the punches and you'll be fine
0: well you've been a tour manager and you've done tech uh work so is there a rule of thumb like cuz you're coming into i mean i kind of think like you're the guest in the house yeah so the band and the and the crew are the guests in the house and you're coming in and in a way it's kind of like you're trying to rearrange the furniture mm-hmm. um at a house you don't own and right. you don't live in so is there, is there like a rule of thumb or is there, or is there etiquette, etiquette that you guys use with the house staff that are kind of like, like to you would just be rule of thumb, but mm-hmm. to other ki- uh, fans of music and stuff that don't know what's really going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe they,
1: you know, didn't know about. It's usually we'll roll in, you know, it's. Be polite as possible, and that's just an everyday thing, you know, to whoever you're dealing with, whether it's the barista at Starbucks or, you know, the house guy at House of Blues Cleveland. It's you know, you're polite, and if, you know, you're polite but firm, and you get what you want that way, but you're nice about it, and you still, because you still have to work with those people all day long. You know, they're going to be pushing your cases. They're taking care of your gear really for you. So if you're not being nice about it, there can be percussions from that but at the same time you know just be firm and you get what you want hmm. so is it is it is it one of these things like you know is there
0: is there like a um for those that maybe listen to this and maybe you're thinking about getting into going on the road um is there kind of like a um a one two three to conflict resolution when you're kind of like the, the visiting band so to speak Um, with like with the house crew or with the promoter or anything like that? Is there kind of like a,
1: it's, it's like any almost boyfriend girlfriend relationship is it's all about (laughs) compromise. You know, you, you have to give a little to get some, you know, there's certain things that you can't do in venues and there's certain things that your band has requested you to do and it's mandatory. So you have to compromise with people that you meet for the very first time that day to get that done and Mm -hmm. make them happy, make yourself happy and get your job done and make your band happy and at the end of the day making the band happy is obviously priority number one so
2: hmm.
1: that's uh i guess yeah that's how we try and do it it it's really hard sometimes when you're working on lack of sleep and people are yelling at you but you get it done so that
0: i mean the interesting thing is that all right so you came out of we'll release right now um you're based in S- Sequim? Squim. Uh Squim, Squim, Squim that's it. is Squim is
1: my hometown. So hi everybody in Squim, which is Squim, a, a Washington. Town of, yeah, it's a town of about 5,000 people. It's a retirement community and there's not a whole lot of people. And it's them. like it's in it's it's north west of Seattle. Yeah. And you rate pretty much on the bay. You're yeah, we're on the the very corner of of Washington, essentially like, you know, there's a lot of people that make their living on fishing and logging. And, and, and Squim is also the lavender capital of the world. The lavender capital of the world. You have a lavender days festival or something like that. That was my first job was working on a lavender farm. I would, (laughs) I would cut bushels of lavender about, you know, I don't know, I guess two inches across and bundle them up with rubber bands. And every, every bundle I got 25 cents. Damn. That was my first job when I was about 15 wow and look at me you, now mom you started as a migrant worker that's pretty <laughs> yeah. yeah look at you now so no wonder you're on the road yeah. um so that's where you grew up that's, that's that's where i grew up uh my parents i was raised there from about kindergarten so when i went to high school and you know i think that that did a lot of good for me i mean that the small town thing and then uh, i moved to seattle after do you hate that. The, do you hate the scent of lavender now do you just like uh it's pretty bad yeah <laughs>
0: I can smell it anywhere though. Like it's just one of those strong it's, smells. It's just, it's, just, it's just in you now. So, for, yeah. so for Christmas, never get you some uh, some uh, uh, pottery barn lavender calendars. My cal- yeah. candles. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, my mom
1: always my mom always used to say that it was the best job because I would come home and I would not smell bad. I would just smell like <laughs> lavender, and she could totally stand that in the house. So I imagine that you probably just would drive down to Seattle to see shows and stuff like that, right? We would. Uh, um, I guess I'm gonna come out and say this. Uh, we used to skip school and do that. Uh, we would tell we would okay. tell the parents that we were leaving after we would cut about three classes because it takes about an hour and a half. And oh really? Okay. It take well. It takes about an an hour, and then you have to ride a half hour ferry into Seattle, and then from the ferry you have to walk to wherever you're going in Seattle. Which, like, if you're going to El Corazon, that's another 15 blocks uphill. So. <laughs> We didn't have money to afford a cab, you know, so we were walking through the cold of Seattle. Right, with
0: snow up to your chin, right? Uh, I got it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It actually doesn't snow that much. (laughs) Right. Actually, I read that about
0: about Swim that was that it has a very little rainfall uh it's in the rain shadow i believe is what it's, it's a rain shadow of The rain
1: a... shadow it's right at the base of the mountain so the rain lifts up and goes right over so they it. kind of say it's almost desert like at points it's uh they call it sunny squim i think there was actually a lot <laughs> well, well, that sounds like an orange rain. juice yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a pretty unique place to live i guess and it's expanding now i go back there Once or twice a year, you know, and I I can't believe it. It's doubled, tripled in size since I lived there, which is crazy. And there's all these chain like Home Depot's and Lowe's, and they're putting in a huge movie theater and all these things we didn't have when we were kids.
0: Life's changing. So weird. This life's never be the same again. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, everything will still smell like lavender. So you will see, go to Mickey D's and your French fries smell like lavender. It's great. They probably probably have lavender shakes. They, They have, they have
1: in Squim, oh, you can get anything lavender, lavender lemonade, lavender ice cream, lavender cheesecake. Seriously. Seriously. I, I, anything, anything that you could think of that could be lavender scented, you could probably, I could probably get you. I'll <laughs> we'll get a tea discount. <laughs> I, I bet, I bet they
0: don't sell, they don't sell, <laughs> sell too many scented um, uh, fabric softeners up there. Um, so, um, what's the, uh, what's the? All uh, right, uh, so, so you were, in, so you would, you would go down to Seattle to see shows and stuff. So then, and you've been doing, uh, you've been on the road since about two thousand five, three.
1: Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Okay. I, yeah. I went. I graduated high school in two thousand four, so I went to college. Yeah. In two thousand five, and I dropped out. Well, maybe it was about two thousand six because I went for about a year. Because, because it said that you were. So, how did you end
0: up? Because your first job was with the Hollow Points, am I correct? Yeah, that's the, the, that's that's true. And so you were already doing backline tech. That's where you started in the fall two thousand five, and you kind of hung out with them. And then by spring of 06, you were already doing stuff with Aiden. And uh, that, uh, yeah, that's a uh, with the appetite for the for the dysfunction tour, and you him, were guitar yeah. tech.
1: Yeah, I was a. Uh, it started out as there was a little town over from us called Port Townsend, and they had a Legion Hall that they would let us let us rent out and put shows on. And mm-hmm. that's I started booking shows and just doing everything with uh, a friend of mine named Dan, and we did shows there for a year or two. And I like I would come away with fifty bucks or something like that, just you know running sound on like a 16 channel board and setting up the PA and doing everything and eventually uh the band called the band called the hollow points was like local heroes from port townsend they were actually from port townsend and they had you know managed to move to seattle and tour the west coast and it was the biggest thing for us you know so we had them and we also had aiden at one show and during the hollow Points show the guitar player matt ended up breaking a string and i just grabbed his guitar and restrung it myself i didn't ask which was Probably a terrible idea, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it and I gave it back to him, and he was really happy. And they were like, "Hey, you know, that's cool. You should come hang out with us in Seattle." I ended up going hanging out in Seattle, and then I would just, you know, fix their gear, and ended up going on tour with them a couple times. And after that, I had met the Aiden guys from those shows as well, and they had just signed a victory. So and they're from, out of Seattle. They're out of Seattle, yeah. yeah. And so they played a couple shows, and they. You know, we're eventually we're like, hey, we're going to need a tech. You know, we know you, your friend, like we can only pay you this much amount of money. But at the time I was like, oh, my God, just, uh, this band's going to pay me, you know, so much money to go on tour with them. What? And I, I don't have to work the lavender fields. Yeah, I don't have to work the lavender <laughs> fields like, like, I'm like this is awesome. So jumped in the van and I've I've pretty much been on tour since then. Yeah, about three and a half years now.
0: Almost and four. and so so the the question then would be, how many days out of the year are you home?
1: Ooh maybe collectively two months, maybe. That's uh well I get I guess I get you know, December and January are really the dead months for touring. No one really goes out and if you do it's cold and icy and dangerous. So I get December and January often, but between between February and the end of November, I probably come home for maybe a month collectively, a week here, a few days here, you know. Probably the biggest break I've had since February is two weeks. So so to go back a little bit, why would you then... Why, what was it about... Was it just because you were
0: technical when you were younger? Or what was it? Like, why would you start... Like, what's the fascination with the back end? Because most everybody wants to be on the front end, you know? I
1: don't know. It was just... I, I think it was always just... I can remember the very first few times with my friend, my mentor Kit, uh, he you know, would take me back to stage the shows and show me load in and how boring it was. And (laughs) I would see, you know, racks of just guitars and, or wherever I was. And I would, I would always watch band guys pull out their guitars. And it was just the way that, I don't know, just the way they sat in the rack and how shiny and clean and awesome they were. And that really fascinated me. And so I really, I don't know. I really started liking to do that. I really liked to be on the stage where the action was, you know, um, there's, I guess, I don't know. It's just something that I always just kind of jumped into and I didn't really think about. And it was never ever supposed to be a career. It just kind of turned into that. So you never really, like when you were younger
0: and you were like in your early teens, it wasn't something like, I want to be in music.
1: Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've always loved music just like, you know, kids and I still do, but it was never like, oh, I love music this much. I want to be on you know, I want to be a guitar tech st- straight up, you know, mm-hmm. like it was like, oh yeah, that would be awesome if I could go on tour someday, but that'll probably never ever happen. So I don't know. It just, it kind of fell in my lap and I ran with it, I guess. So those, those first, the, the stuff with the hollow points and stuff like
0: that, were there like, what were the things that you learned real fast about being on the road uh, that really shocked you? Maybe having that? a fake ID is awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> how 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 old were you when you were already doing that? Well, let me see. You're what twenty two now, twenty three. I was. I'm almost. I'll be twenty three in March. I'm twenty two now. I was about nineteen when I was doing Hollow Points tours. I was, uh, I was take. I had a road case, and I would change strings on the bar, and I would do my homework right next to it. While people, while the band was drinking next to me, um, and hoping that none of the uh, managers of the bar would ask me how old I was. So I would be getting my homework done for college and like, you know, high school, and then uh, I would change strings after that, so... Did you finish college, or did you drop out? I dropped out after a year and a half. Okay. Um, we well, still studying? go back, but uh, audio production at the Art Institute of Seattle. Oh, cool. So I was actually going to learn how to be, like, a studio engineer or whatever, but that didn't really... I got in there and started doing it, and it didn't really interest me.
0: What was it? Was it because, like, you were figuring, like, you were learning it on the road?
3: And yeah, that, getting the practical... Well, that v- was the kind of thing. thing. I
1: went... I went and I was already touring with the hollow points and I went and I talked to my, uh, the audio advisor, like the head dude of the audio department. And I was like, Hey, look, you know, I'm 19. I have this chance to tour. What do you think I should do? And you know, I have this chance to get into this thing. And he, <laughs> he goes, nobody's going to let you into a bar. Like you should not do that. Oh really? He, he told me straight up that I shouldn't do it. I was never going to make any money and I needed to stay in school. And, I thought about it. I did that for another quarter and I thought about it and I was like, you know, if I'm getting paid to learn on the road what I'm paying someone else to learn here, then why should I stick around, you know? Mm. And I mean it's a it's a chance and I can always go back to school if, you know, if this never for some reason tomorrow I have to go home, you know. I can go back to college and still get that audio degree, but you know, why? I mm. I you know, I learned just the same things but I got paid to do it and you know, I guess that was, uh, that was the final decision. And I just said, screw it and left. Well, you've traveled around the world. Yeah. Um, I think you've done, you've done Australia. No, I have. Every time I try and go to Australia, I either have to cancel it or the band cancels the tour. We were, <laughs> we were supposed to go in February with Chiotos, and, uh, we canceled to do the Lincoln Park tour, which by no means was bad at all. You oh, know, right. we got to do, uh, Madison Square Garden. I have not been to Japan, but we're supposed to go in february so crossing our fingers on this one okay i've been to i have been to russia i have been to prague the netherlands all over all over europe with aiden many times that's their home pretty much so do you so i mean you live in austin now right uh yeah i live in austin we're actually going to go back to seattle for december and january okay so
0: that's uh so do any of your friends back in in squim kind of are they jealous
1: it's um, because you've seen the world, you're traveling. I mean, they ask a lot of questions. I don't know. <laughs> I don't necessarily know if they're jealous. It's. I think that a lot of them understand that it's a lot of work. Yeah, and that's a big misconception about touring too. Is that you get to see so much stuff and do all these fun things because you're in all these cities. But I really see you know the venue all day. Like I'll, I'll see. I've seen a lot of different venues in a lot of different <laughs> countries, but I haven't really <laughs> seen places. We've gotten to do some cool things though. I, in uh. My first time over into Europe, I actually got to sign the Berlin Wall when I was with Aiden, so that was like a big, cool thing that I got to do. Um, We went to Russia; that was another amazing. That was the funnest place I've ever been. Mexico has been awesome. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much the only place I haven't been is Japan and Australia, which everyone has done, and they're always telling me about. I'm just I'm the jealous one about that, you know. (laughs) So, so like, just to kind of like kind of
0: wrap up the early stuff. Um, how were your parents about this?
1: Uh, my mom was a teacher. Uh, so dropping out of college was kind (laughs) of a, (laughs) I think was kind of a big deal for them. Um, after a little while they started, they came out to Warped Tour 2006 and they saw, they saw that and they're like, wow, this is, this is cool. You know? And now that they know that, you know, I'm making money to support myself, you know, renting an apartment, paying my bills on time. They kind of get it. You know, they come, they see the tour buses. They're, you know, they're really stoked about it. They've been to two warp tours. And they came out. The, The weirdest one was we played with Linkin Park. And my mom and my dad both came out. And I watched Slingham Park with, with my mom and my dad, and my mom knew all the words, and I didn't know any. <laughs> so she was really—they were really stoked about that. So I think they, they're they really cool about it now, and it's, and it's awesome to have their support about that, which makes things a million times easier in my life, you know, because I don't get to talk to them. I don't get to see them that much, and they don't think that I'm just— out running around spending a bunch of money and right. you know, this isn't a real thing. And I, I think they know that it's a real thing, and I think it's the awesomest thing ever. All right, we do two music breaks on this,
0: and um <clears throat> so I'm gonna give you uh I want you to pull two bands, two artists and two songs, one for each artist. Uh and um <clears throat> why don't you give me um two songs that kind of remind you of your first you know year? on the road, like if there were songs that were signature songs for you that kind of like when you hear them take you back to that part when you're on that first tour with Aiden around the country. Um,
1: Because that was a tour with him as well, right? That was a tour with him and those those guys are amazing. Um, Wow. Two songs and I don't have any time to think about it. Of course not. That's the fun part. Uh, Because it's spontaneous. It makes the uh, impulse. I'm going to say 59 Sound by the Gaslight Anthem. Oh, okay. Um because it reminds me of listening to the radio, and uh, I did that a lot, okay um and wow, when I first started touring, what did we listen to? What was big at that time? It' been like what it was two thousand six two thousand six who was big? I remember, and this was the first time that I saw a lot of bands uh
0: that was your first warp tour as well.
1: Whew, wow, who was on that warp tour? No effects against me was on that warp tour. I'm gonna pick something by against me I'm gonna pick uh. The Ocean by Against Me.
0: AP Podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records, the home to new releases from Not Without a Fight, the new record from one of the most successful pop-punk bands of all time, New Found Glory. Their Epitaph Records debut comes out March 10th, followed by a full-length U.S. tour kicking off in Tempe, Arizona on March 25th. And, bring me the horizon. The UK invades the US this spring as the band co-headlines with Thursday on this year's Taste of Chaos tour. Their latest release, Suicide Season, out now and available in store, online, everywhere. For more information on these and other Epitaph new releases, sign on to epitaph.com. So you kind of mentioned it, and I, and I this is like probably the big thing that, that is like the question of the day. You know, yeah, doing being either a tech or being a tour manager is a lot of work with that. So explain to me as um, why don't we start? we well, we'll take a step back as a tech, hmm? and you did a lot of guitar tech. W- explain your day, like give me your day from like w- when do you wake up to like what time do you wake up to when do you go to bed. I'll, I'll like,
1: give you a rundown of this of this uh, of a day on this tour. Like I'll give you yesterday, okay, for example, the
0: Silverstein Chiotos, and uh, Escape the Fate tour. All yeah,
1: right. um, I'm usually. Rudely awoken by our drum tech or our tour manager <laughs> at about nine ten a.m. We we were loading in at nine. Now we've been getting in about ten a.m. And I wake up. I'll drink a drink of water. Get out. Um, our the lighting always is loaded in first. So uh, our light guy loads in all his lights. After that, our drum tech and I. Uh, unload all of our back line. we're traveling with our own soundboards and processing gear on this tour, so all that gets into the venue um I wait around i you know get my get the lids off all of our road cases, get my guitars out up onto the stage as soon as I can to keep temperatures even for them um Then it's just building all the walls of amps that you see on stage and plugging everything in and I'll change some change guitar strings after that every all the main guitars get changed every day. So that takes up quite a bit of time getting those to stay in tune if Jason or anyone has broken anything the night before that's... Jason Hale from Shioda. Jason yep. Hale breaks so much stuff. <laughs> so there's there's a good time where <laughs> I'm deliberately me- or clumsily. Uh neither. He just he just rocks so hard. <laughs> all right, so we'll say deliberately. All right. Uh so I'm fixing that and then uh after that, you know, sometime we'll if I have time, we'll go out and get some lunch or we'll order something in while, and I'll eat where I'm working at. And uh, um, about that time, we'll do uh, a sound check with the band if they want to do a sound check. If not, we'll just play the instruments for them and make sure everything's working properly and all the mics are run and all that stuff. And after that, um, being uh, being a stage manager, all the opening bands, we'll get them. I'll uh, I'll be in charge of getting all their gear set up and get them on stage and getting them a line check. About that time, that has to be done before Doors, which have been at 5.30 on this tour. So all the opening band's gear has to be up and checked before 5.30. So they're they're up. And then after that, I have an hour or so before they actually go on. And so I'll try and grab a quick bite to eat, um, make some phone calls, you know, do whatever else that's not done, you know, running cables, fixing things, whatever. And then at 6.30, I'll put uh, a Skylet Drive on stage, walk them down to the stage, make sure they have you know, all their waters, make sure the sound guys are there for them and everything's working. And then after that, I'd have to come back to make sure everybody gets off on time and the next band gets on until Chiodos gets on. And then uh, before Chiodos goes on, we'll run through, and make sure everything's working again. So a second time, make sure everything's playing right okay. as it should, so the band can just walk on. And then you know they walk on stage, play for an hour, and then after that, it's about eleven thirty at night. So uh, tear everything that I had set down in the morning, pack up all the guitars, make sure everything's, make sure we have everything that we need, and then uh, push out and load our trailers back up. And about that time, it's about one a.m. And so fourteen get, hour day. Yeah. yeah, and then I get get to go back to sleep, or you know, I'll hang out for a little bit, eat like a real late snack, um, do whatever, and go back to bed, and then. Do it again the next day, you
0: get rudely waking in the next morning,
1: yeah. That's that's <laughs> why you know you're going to bed at 1 2 a.m. and you get like seven hours of sleep or whatever. And so, somebody has to shake you to get out of your bunk. So, so, so when somebody says,
0: Oh man, the bus calls at three, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to stay up till three, it means you mm. can go back and crash at 11 o'clock yeah. if you feel like it, yeah. I well, mean, if you can, that's
1: just when our bus drivers are showing up and we're leaving, so you have to be back at the bus at three. But I don't think I've made it to, to a leave bus call <laughs> at one time this tour, you know. <laughs> A lot of people, you know, the band will go out, sometimes they'll go to a bar, whatever, and um, the crew just goes to the bus and just zonks out, you know. <laughs> like, we can't even talk, just so tired. The first week is always the worst, too, because you're not used to it yet. Now it's, it's okay. We have, like, three or four shows left, and I'm getting in, like, autopilot mode. You're in autopilot now? Yeah, autopilot. right when the tour's ending. Yeah, right yeah. when the tour's ending.
0: That's really great. So, so like, when you're on the road and you're in the middle, how, like how, how far in advance are you trying to book your next gig? well that's that's all (coughs) with with or or do a lot of people like trying to stay with one band and
1: stick with it because that's security it's i mean it's hard it's just kind of i try and set it up at least you know a tour before if i'm gonna do if i know say shiotis is gonna take the summer off to write or craig owens is gonna do craig owens stuff i'm gonna be calling you know anybody that i can Sending out mass emails, being like, hey, do you guys know anybody for work, whatever. And, you know, we have a little black book of friends that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But probably at least a tour <laughs> in advance. I want to do it probably one to two months. Okay. At, trying to, at least, you know. Sometimes wow, that's
0: actually less than I thought. I would think it was longer than that.
1: Sometimes it's just sketchy with gigs because bands can't make up their minds a lot of the time about <laughs> who they want to take out or, like, you know, something with management. They don't know their budget yet. So it's all always waiting. You want to try and get your name in there as early as possible but after that it's you know you're waiting for that phone call back
0: so how many people do you usually think you're competing against when you're trying to get a gig
1: (sighs) nowadays it's with and with the economy it's made it so much harder because there's a lot of young techs that aren't necessarily bad techs but they're willing to work for a lower price so younger than 23 uh yeah i mean i'm if you think about it i mean i started you know 19 18 19 and those are there's kids coming up at 18, 19 doing the same gigs, and a lot of these, a lot of the young bands too that are young bands, but they're big and they're getting big within a second. And they don't know touring crews yet. They don't know, you know, they they just bring friends. So bringing a friend, you know, he's probably young. He's probably not making much money, but
0: wants to get out of the lavender fields. Yeah, he wants
1: to get out of the lavender fields too, and I respect that. But <laughs> it makes it makes me booking gigs a little bit harder. That's all right. So are you finding that a lot of times you're having to negotiate yourself down your rate? Um, I I have gone down on my rate uh, a little bit, just you know, uh, I mean it hasn't been too bad. It stayed about it stayed within a hundred dollars either way for the last year and a half. So, hmm. which is which is good. I
0: remember us talking one time, and I can't remember which which show it was. I don't know if it was it was in Kentucky or if it was in the Toledo show or not. But, and I was we were talking about um, the audio schools. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, LA music uh, school, uh, school of business, and then uh, and then uh, full sale mm-hmm. and some of that. And you had made a note that you know uh, a lot of people there um, that have gone to that, but that out of the thousands that have gone, how few are actually working?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I I can't remember this exact fact. When I was going to the Art Institute, I believe. I, I think even, you know, there was like a 90% dropout rate in the audio program at least. And even the 10% that were going out were not even getting touring jobs. They were, you know, my friend, I have a few friends that graduated, one graduated in video, I believe he's in the army now. Uh, my friend who actually just got a job tour managing Pierce the Vale and doing sound for them. It took a couple of years and I think his first job out was working at Radio Shack, you know, mm. things like that. And it's... It's sad to see that with your friends, you know, you, you see a lot of potential in those kids and it's just, it just sucks, you know? And I'm kind of glad, like, I don't want to be the one to say it, but I'm really glad that I got out early, Mm. you know, and started working, started getting in early. And now, now these guys are doing the same thing that I did, but they're just two years after the, after I did it. And, you know, is they're working their asses off, but it's, it's still very hard for them, even with a degree, you know, most a lot of bands will be like, Oh cool, you have an audio degree like can you mix like you've been taking tests for two years can you can you do this like so
0: so there is there is a lot of validity to the idea that it really does come down to having a, a talent a natural ear mm-hmm. an ability it's it's multitasking it's ability, experience
1: so. it's it's so much of who you know you know really it's so much like when i worked I worked with Aiden and I couldn't get another gig to save my life you know I lucked into Aiden and you know, thank God for those guys for taking me out on the road. I, you know, I owe them so much for that. And they took a chance on me. And that's, I find that's what a lot of it is with kids. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're going to be a tech, you know, you know, the band that you're going to, you know, do and you work really hard and then someone else will notice you. And then, but having an audio degree, like, I mean, I, I do know people with audio degrees that are, you know, doing just fine and doing touring jobs. And that's, that's good. I'm not, not to say that those, there aren't people out there like that, but For the most part, and especially with the younger kids, it's it's so hard, you know, like they go and they learn and they're smart, but it just it's so hard to work out. And then after that, you have so much debt to pay off already that you need to have a good job to start making those payments and support yourself. And I think that's where the fall is right there is just trying to support yourself and then trying to do what you love at the same time. So, you know, with bands, a lot of new bands are like,
0: oh, well, if we just get our MySpace up and we, have, we promote the heck out of our MySpace and we make a really killer MySpace and Facebook and these other things like that, then we have a career and people will start noticing us. But with tech people, I mean, is there, is there an online component to marketing yourself or is it kind of really just comes out a lot of like uh, on the foot you know on the ground it's
1: it's a, it's a lot of networking that you know the in person. the the guys that are doing the big jobs you know like the Lincoln Park crew and those dudes you know they know everyone and they've been doing this for 30 years you know like and they just know everyone and they they have friends and they'll get called in to do jobs but as far as young techs like myself and other people go there's a few websites there's a uh, uh www.rody.net which is a good uh networking thing for, it's a lot of older people, but I, I think there's a lot of younger kids coming in, getting in the mix and, you know, learning, talking and Mm -hmm. trying to see how things go in this world. Um, I think there's roadiejobs.net or something like that, where you can post resumes. There's, there's a few new resume sites coming up, but I don't know how well it's working Mm. for those people. I've never really, really done it. I've, it's just always been you know, through friends or management companies that have heard of me and they call me. So do you, just out of curiosity, it's kinda of like the warp tour, the cheat sheet. <laughs> kinda of like, like like
0: if you really want to just start you wanna get your name out there real big and network like crazy, you gotta to go to like the conventions. Yeah. And to a certain extent warp towards the convention Warped of Warped the underground Tours scene.
1: Convention for this. Let me I'll give a piece of advice to kids that wanna do this warp tour <laughs> sucks. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the questions. All right. Like, so, how do you survive on war tour? Yeah. How do you survive on war tour? Work your ass off. Just you have to. You're okay. If you think that, I mean, how many bands are on war tour? Do you think on on average? Oh, they go or,
0: everywhere between you know forty to a hundred to two hundred. I mean, it depends on okay. how many he's got like flying out in and out all the time. You I mean, think? Okay. You know, well, you, let's just take stability of at least forty. But, for
1: for yeah. this, let's just take the main stages and say that you have nine bands on each main stage. Right. Each band has a guitar tech and a drum tech at least. So you're trying to prove to these nine, you know, 18 main stage bands that you're better than the tech that they've already hired, you know, to do that job and why they should, you know, pay you in the future. You know, you have to work really hard to get noticed. It's great for networking. You meet a lot of people, but as far as jobs coming back out of that, it's very few and far between. You have to... You have to keep going beyond Warp Tour to get those jobs. You have to stay in touch with those same people and keep mm-hmm. working them and working them and calling them and being like, "Hey man, what's up?" like, you know, just being a nice person, not even talking about jobs. You got to get a connection with those people for them to hire you. I believe, you know. And that's that's what happened with Red Jumpsuit and I. They, you know, I met those dudes. I actually met those dudes when we were touring with A and they were a little van and they recognized me on Warp Tour and we, you know, kind of talked and then I stayed in touch with their now tour manager Brad, and we were just texting. We were just friends, and then, you know, now a year later, he he's called me and been like, "Hey, we need guitar tech for this, you know, for this tour. Can you come do it?" So it's taken me a year after Warp Tour from when I met someone to get a job out of it. So is there like
0: a is there a is there a is there somebody that's kind of like the person that you need to get to know? Me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well i mean well I mean,
0: let's think about that i mean is it is it like you know i'm on warped tour and it's my first one and i want to start trying networking a little bit do i become do i try and befriend the band do, are they the ones that are going to pull the strings in the end is it do i try and befriend their current tour manager do i try and befriend their managers there for the day i want to
1: go befriend that guy or gal i think uh i don't think there's any one to jeffrey star who do i talk to <laughs> let talk to jeffrey star uh i don't think there's any one person because it just doesn't it, it matters you know it just depends from band to band like I think you should just go out there and be a nice hard-working person and make friends with anyone you can okay any any possible person that you can even merch people you know merch people are say friends with the bands and or if they work for another band they know that you know the band needs a guitar tech the merch person will call you so it's just going in there and just just try and get your name out there as much as you can and just be nice and polite, and just work and work and work your ass off. Like on this last Warp tour, we were doing, or I was, I started off teching for Chiodos, and then I started filling in stage managing for the, for the Van's Warp tour, and that helped out a lot. Meeting a lot of the production people, if you can, I guess the one set of group of people is make friends with whoever's running the tour, you know, whoever whoever the upper people are. Say if it's Warp tour, you know, make mm-hmm. friends with. Kevin Lyman, make friends with Lisa Brownlee, anybody, mm-hmm. Carrie Lee, all those people, and good things will eventually come. It might not come right away, but people do remember faces and names, and it it's really true in this world. So, um,
0: uh, you were saying something uh, earlier about uh, one more thing on Warp Tour before I forget it. Um, and you kind of said you said you said you said Warp Tour sucks ass. <laughs> um, so, w- why does it suck ass?
1: It's hot it's okay if you're if you luck out and start working for a band on the main stage you have it it's okay like because you're you always have the best spots spots to park your bus you know your gear rides you have a bus you have a bus (laughs) you uh your gear rides in a semi trailer it's always usually on concrete but if you like when i did warp tour in 2006 with Aiden, we were on the hurley stage and but we would flip-flop stages a lot and sometimes you know like they would say, okay, you're gonna complain the main stage first at eleven thirty today. It's ten o'clock now, and you have to take all four of these Mesa boogie full stacks and drag them across this field of dirt and rocks <laughs> by yourself, and we're not giving you any any loaders. <laughs> so and it's just like it's hot. It's you know, you get into Florida, it's like 110 degrees, and you can't even think, and it's every day for two months, and it just doesn't let up, you know. It's it's really it's really it opens your eyes as far as touring goes and it's good you know but it's hard it's i'm not gonna lie to anybody it's the hardest tour i've ever done probably that's probably why you never see overweight people on warped tour Mm, that's very very few and far between
0: (laughs) 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 we're gonna take a second uh music break here but i I want to um actually here's a great one for a warped tour crowd um because you've done stage managing, you've done tour managing, you've done teching. I mean, I've seen you be a tech, but I've also seen you kind of like act as a, as a stage manager at the same time in some spots. Um, you, you now have the floor to talk to an audience full of fans. Okay, they're all listening to you right now. This is what I want you to imagine. You're standing on the stage, you got a mic, they're all listening to you. And you want to tell them some things that they need to think about when they're going to stage dive.
1: When they're going to stage dive. Don't do it because of the band gets sued. Uh, i lose my paycheck (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, if they're if they're going if they're going to stage dive uh if they're watch watch out for all of my gear and all of my cables because if you rip out one of my cables i get yelled at uh if you mess anything up just watch out for things and please try and land you know make sure people know that you're coming if you can uh (laughs) Just try and do it in the safest way bad as possible. Ones? I guess. Oh, i seen some bad ones. I'm oh, sure. I've seen some terrible ones. I've I've seen a lot more terrible. Give me some people notes. that haven't been caught while crowd surfing. <laughs> more like, okay, we were on Warped Tour in 2006 with Aiden, and there was this this little girl, and I felt so bad. And she came over and just no, the security guard. I don't know. Okay, he wasn't there, and she she landed on her head and was out. Ooh. And we were. I ran down there and I was holding her. I'm looking around and I'm screaming and I'm like, where's that security guard? And I look over, and the dude is eating a piece of pizza on the side of the stage. And I I lost it. I was like, how you know you're not doing your job? Like, how can you? This little girl just fell, and like she has to go maybe to the emergency room now, and you're eating a piece of pizza. That that was probably one of the worst things I've ever seen. And the funniest? The funniest, the funniest. Stage dive. Uh, that would. Uh, Craig Owens made me get in my underwear in <laughs> Kentucky and stage dive because I left the Cinematic Sunrise tour to go work for Airborne, and it was my last night. <laughs> so he made me get in my underwear on stage, and that was probably the most embarrassing slash funny thing that I've I've done in some time. <laughs> Um, okay, so why don't you give me two, I mean,
0: the good thing also that I've noticed is is you go and you spend more than two hours on a tour bus, um, and you will all of a sudden have everybody on the tour bus, uh, exposing you to music that they've Mm -hmm. been exposed to over the past, you know, since the tour started. Mm -hmm. So give me two bands or two songs that you're listening to now you've been exposed to that you're really digging lately.
1: Ooh, uh, I don't know any of the names of the songs, but Personnel, anything by Personnel. Those guys rock, uh, we just toured with them with Motion City, um... Let's see, who else have we been exposed to that I just went, uh, our sound guy, Chris Grady, uh, told me, has told me a bunch about, uh, like William Elliot Whitmore. I don't know if you've heard no. him. He's hm. a, he's a solo artist. Um, uh, awesome. Let's see. I don't know. I've been, I've been rebuying a lot of CDs from my youth, so I haven't really been listening to more new music that's been coming. Oh, uh, uh, let's do, uh, Dr. Manhattan. Ah. Dr. Manhattan uh okay. Uh Gunpowder a Ballet. That is there one of okay. They're one of the best live bands I've seen in a long time and that song is awesome. I love that song. Let's do that one.
2: Oh, I apologize for the brief interruption. I I get sent on irrelevant tangents, but so often that I can't keep my focus straight.
0: about the times you almost died on tour. Died on
1: tour. Uh, well, I mean, as many sketchy plane rides as we've taken, uh, (laughs) I'm surprised one of those hasn't gone down. I've actually, interesting fact, I've, since May 5th, the the day we played Bamboozle, that night I started counting, and since then I've taken 49 individual flights. And that's scary every single time because I'm just counting down how (laughs) many flights it's gonna take. (laughs) Um, are you of flying? Uh, I used to be terrified of it. I'm still, I'm still kind of scared, but I've just gotten into, you know, having a little bottle of Jack right when we start, <laughs> and I'll, I'll sleep fine after that. Usually, um, almost dying on tour. Uh, I was with Airborne, and we we left the venue early. We needed, we were going to stop at a liquor store, and our bus driver pulls up, and I, I can't remember where we were, but it was the sketchiest thing I've ever seen. We go inside and i didn't buy anything and our our merch guy was buying just like a case of beer or whatever and we came out and in the parking lot there was like a shootout like gunfire like we we jumped on the bus and just peeled out like and i don't know how close it was but it it sounded like it was right <laughs> next to me you know so that was that was a little scary um i mean any day you know you have to worry about road cases falling on you or Anything like that, I don't you know any uh and usually when
0: what if I've asked this question, usually bands will start talking about like you know bus drivers drivers that have had seizures on the road, or you know we've uh, been
1: we've been pretty lucky, snow, snow <laughs> driving S- in snow snow is always terrible um I've always been lucky and been on the bus that didn't wreck on the tour like <laughs> like on the mayhem tour, uh disturb's crew bus ended up like just shooting off the road like drum tech broke his leg. Everything was like, bus was total. It happens. It's really scary to think about. It's, um, I, here's one. I got one. I just thought of it. We were, uh, we were opening, I was with Aiden. We were going to open for rise against in Spokane. So we just took the old Aiden van from Seattle to Spokane, which is about four hours, I believe. And it was in January and we, you have to cross the cascade mountains to go to the other, to Eastern Washington. We were coming back and we slid, we hit ice and we slid and the whole van and trailer was completely sideways over like three lanes of traffic and we slid for about a football field just sideways, like looking out the windows. And it it, it, it would have been terrible. Like we eventually straightened out, but if there had been anybody behind us at the time, that's what would have really gotten us. Whoa. You know, and it's scary too, you know, you come off every 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 winter you hear about you know, bands and vans going over I-80 between Wyoming and, and Utah. And that's where everyone wrecks their van. That's where a few people have died. You know, that's this, this is a scary one. And so I worry, I worry about our friends in, in vans a lot more than the bus ones. The hmm. our bus, the bus drivers are always usually very good. You know, they, they know where to take it slow. They know what to do. But when you put, you know, eight kids in a van, with a trailer going over black ice through windstorms, you know, that's where it gets scary. So wow. I worry, I worry about my friends a lot more than I worry about myself being in a bus. Um, give
0: me, I mean, you were saying before that, you know, one of the big, um, misunderstandings is, you know, a lot of concert goes will think that the people that are on the road and on the crew get to go hang out at some point point, go touristy and stuff like that and go shopping. And that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the case. Um, but so, but there is one thing you guys do get to see, which is uh on the the travel days mm-hmm. um so um, the travel days are where you're just going from one city to another and it's a long haul, or yeah that so tell me the uh in your opinion um the route that is the most scenic the most scenic
1: where do I like anywhere in the pacific northwest i love i love being in the pacific northwest um when uh, the best the best travel day I've ever had in my entire life though was Driving through the Swiss Alps at about Whoa. 10 a.m. Uh, on an old Aiden tour, uh, we were going through Switzerland. I think we were driving down to England to play Download or something. But that was just me stopping and going, "Holy crap! How did I get here? Like, what did I do right in my life to see such like the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen? And to this day, I, I still think that's the most beautiful place I've ever seen." and the most grueling drive? A lot of um, that's that's actually another good story if you want to hear it. <laughs> sure. Uh we were we were driving through the Swiss Alps and <laughs> oh, as,
0: it's another grueling story in the Swiss Alps, okay?
1: Uh I'm I was asleep in my bus and our uh, it was tour managing aid and our bus driver woke me up about 8 a.m. tell this real quick and there was smoke in our bus and I was like, "What's going on? I thought we had gotten pulled over and I needed to deal with the cops or something." And uh, <laughs> I went downstairs and we opened up the. No, ba- downstairs. Oh, okay. Well, there, in England, the two the buses are two stories. Some okay. of them, so you can go downstairs. And I went outside, and all of our gear was riding in the the bays of the bus, which is like on the sides, and you open up doors, and it actually lives underneath where you are. Okay. And there was smoke just shooting out, and I was like, "Holy crap, what happened?" And uh, we pulled our kick drum out and there was a giant hole just burned into it. Apparently, a piece of trash had gotten thrown up onto this really hot part of the bus and it ignited and burned a hole through. The best part of it was we were 50 feet from a 12-mile-long tunnel, which seven years ago, uh, a truck had exploded in and killed about 80 people. (laughs) So we didn't actually know what was catching on fire and if we should drive through this tunnel or not. So I spent... We we said you know we said screw it let's let's go for it we you know we put it out we drove through and I had to spend the entire rest of the day in Switzerland calling a guy in England trying to get a new kick drum for the show the next day which eventually I did but that uh that was that was just, that was a grueling scary moment for us <laughs> you know made me think about
0: um, um what do what do a lot of concert fans what do a lot of fans not understand
1: about musicians. Uh, about musicians, that they're people too. Uh, I believe, you know, it's it's very easy to hold somebody to a bigger standard than they are. And I, I've done it when I was a kid. I probably still do it, you know. But at the same time, a lot of, you know, after a show, it's like, have, have you ever run around for an hour and 10 minutes? Just like, have you ever put like 30 pounds on your back and run around straight for an hour and 10 minutes in front of, you know, and then what do you want to do? You, the biggest thing you want to do is go lay down. You know, you want to, you want to go to bed or, you know, (laughs) relax or something for a few minutes. And I don't think a lot of kids understand that, you know, they don't see it that way. It's like, okay, you're off stage. Let's, you know, let's hang out, which, you know, a lot of dudes are happy to do, but, you know, then when kids get mad that somebody, you know, in the band just wants to chill out and really doesn't, want to see anyone you know especially if you've had a bad night or if they had a fight with their girlfriend it's right right it's just you know we're we're people too you know Texan and musicians it's we have long days and trying to do what we do best and so i don't think that they realize that we need a little space a little more often than, than they think so kind of keeping this in this in mind um you know the, the fights between band
0: members are bound to break out, and yeah. I don't mean necessarily physical fights um all the time, <laughs> but also like just you know they're they're fighting about something they're arguing about something and uh so as a crew um like on this tour right now, there's two buses, mm-hmm. the crew on one bus, the band's on another, yeah, and but most of the time it's not like that
1: uh yeah, most of the time it's all of us stuffed into tiny coffins <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> right rock and roll coffins, yeah, yeah. um so.
0: Uh, what, how do you, how does, like, you know, what would be your advice to somebody that, um, is new to the road and they're touring, like, for the first time on one of these long tours in a bus with the band and they're fighting? Stay out of the way. How do you stay out of the way? they like, because you know, everybody's going to be,
1: like, some people try and get people to take sides. And... If, you know, as much as you can, if your bus is stopped, if you're at the venue and there's a fight, just leave, you know, go, go inside and make up something to do, you know, Go go out and go shopping, go buy something, you know, just get out of the bus for 15 minutes. it's, you know, even our crew, even on this, we, we get in arguments, you know, we fight about things, but you know, you'll realize after living with someone, it's just like a brother and sister fight. You can scream at someone, but you're still going to love them when the day is done. You know, I would, you know, I would go as far, you know, I'll fight, I'll fight a frat house for anybody on my crew right now, you know, or anybody in the band. But sometimes I just hate you know, Chris Grady's guts or just (laughs) hate Jason Hale's guts, you know, but you know, it it works itself out. You just have to get out of sight, leave it alone, you know, just, you know, it'll work itself out eventually. But I mean, if it's a direct fight with you and somebody else, you know, compromising again, just be nice, try and understand where that person's coming from. You know, you can't live in, in one bus with 12 people without arguing. It's just not going to happen. You know, sometimes, so,
0: so, so give me, give me like three types of people that are on the road usually that you meet on the road that are like either the venues or their tour people or their, um, whatever that you, that you advise to newbies to stay away from.
1: To stay away from, uh, avoid. speed freaks. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. Just anybody, you can kind of just tell that person when they walk in the room, if they bring a bad vibe, you know, just stay away. I don't, I don't know if there's just types of people you should stay away from is cause you're always going to have to work around somebody you don't like at that point, but you still have a job to get done. And that's what's most important. So you have to learn, you just have to learn to deal with it really. And that's the biggest thing whether, you know, people will get their own advice. Like, you know, if you're around somebody and you just don't want to talk to them, bring out your iPod, put your headphones on, you know, it's no one, no one's going to do anything. Just just get away from that person if you can. Like, I don't know. I I don't think there's people to necessarily avoid because mm-hmm. you're always gonna have to work for them, But you know, if it if you just can't stand being around somebody, then uh, just get away. Do something else.
0: So, um, what what are some things? Um, briefly, uh, a couple more questions. We'll wrap this up. Um, what are some things that you, if you're going out on the road, that are like always in your travel bag?
1: Uh, Mountain Dew <laughs> diet mountain dew (laughs) diet mountain dew is always in my travel bag uh (laughs) my passport um like personal things are we talking like yeah like like survival things survival things um music of some sort i've actually gone through about four or five ipods now so i just bought a cd player and which has actually turned out to be a really cool thing for me because i've been going out and buying cds again and interesting having them um entertainment uh cell phone a cell phone with email and unlimited text messaging and you know we're we conduct business a lot on our phones but at the same time you're it's good to touch with somebody that's in the outside world that's not in this world you know you can't talk about teching or doing sound 24 hours a day all year you know you gotta you know you gotta text people back home cell phones caffeine uh, (laughs) cell phones and caffeine Really, <laughs> it sounds
0: like a to-do list.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can live with the clothes on your back, but once that <laughs> caffeine runs out, those fights start coming. <laughs> uh, that's. I mean, I could probably get by with a cell phone. I I can get by with a cell phone, my wallet, my passport, and some caffeine. Um, um, and uh, what would be
0: um, your are you're, you got a girlfriend now? Yeah. Yeah, and you guys are living together, and. Um, how do you make that last if you're only home for two months?
1: It's fucking so hard <laughs> um you just kind of i don't know it's just like a like I was talking about having the boyfriend girlfriend thing earlier you know with with people it's it's just a lot of compromise try and talk as much as you can you know um you have to trust people, and that's a it's a really scary thing for a lot of people is is trust and If you can trust that person, it'll all be good. You'll still get in fights and you'll still worry, but it makes everything a lot easier. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I would just trust, just try and talk as much as you can. Anything, I mean, just getting, uh, you know, sending pictures or whatever, like on your phones, that can be a huge thing, you know. Try and do things that, you you know, your significant other and you would do if you were home while you're on tour, try and, go see a movie, you know try and you know if you know you have like a a record that you both love, you know bring that record on tour and listen to that do you know try and keep it as constant as you can and just talk a lot and trust and uh and it'll work itself out um
0: final question uh you 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 have a soapbox here for for a minute um and you have uh, all of the groupies that you've ever met in front of you,
1: um, that's an entire Madison Square garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you say to them? Just stop, <laughs> just take a look back and look at what you're doing. Like, it's like the it's like you know, when you're 18, and you get your first tattoo, your first band tattoo, even, and you're just like, Oh, this is fucking awesome! Like, I love this, I'm gonna love this forever, and then, you know you don't (laughs) and uh you know it's sad it's it's sad to see some of these kids and you know especially young girls these days it's you know it's not even necessarily that they're even sleeping with people it's just trying it's the act of trying to do it like it's this mythical backstage bus thing that you want to see and you think that you have to do certain things to do that and you don't and people will always respect you a lot more for not doing that, no matter how cool you think you are, you know, like.
0: Do you think that as soon as somebody's obviously a groupie, the, the musician and the roadies and the techs and everybody will automatically kind of like look down on them?
1: Mm-hmm. It's degrading. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's a totally on tour. It, I could, you know, there's just things that just, I can you tell mean? you're frustrated. Yeah, it's it's frustrating with girls and it it it'll it's a thing that's never ever going to stop no matter how many times people say this, you know, even Shane from Silverstein, he says this every night on stage, you know, there's a lot of good girls out here and there's a lot of dudes backstage and you don't need to do that to make them think better about you. If anything, they're just going to think less and you know, it sucks. It sucks to watch, you know. I've I've seen so many girls I've seen more girls cry backstage than I've seen, you know, girls that are happy to meet. Cry for what? Just anything like, you know, just getting thrown out of backstage rooms after, you know, they're done doing their thing or whatever, whatever, you know, happens to be back there. It's just you just don't have to do that. And I don't know. I don't know how to say that or it just seems like common sense to me, but I guess not. There's just, you know, mothers lock up your daughters, I guess. <laughs> that that'll stop it.
0: <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming in and talking and um yeah. I had a great time and this and, is awesome. And uh um I'm just trying to see if there's like any if there was one more uh, no, I think I've actually hit everything here. Oh, the one uh, last question and we'll go. Um and this will be really really simple. Um the best cities to work in
1: Best cities to work in? Oh, uh, that's uh, obviously Seattle because I'm from there and I know the crew. Um, besides that, the best cities to work in? Wow, uh, Janus Landing, Florida, is kind of it's kind of a crappy load in, but the crew is some of the best crew I've ever worked with. Janus Landing is awesome. Uh, Where is that? It's in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Okay. Um, there's a new venue in Richmond, Virginia. That's owned by the same people that own, own the Norva. And that place we just played there recently and that was fantastic. It was awesome. Where else? There's something I'm I'm forgetting. Um LA is always a good place to play. I uh, uh San Diego. San Diego and the Soma are always always good. Um wow. it's really real laid back. All of our friends are always there. Um and it's always nice. It's always sunny. You know, you get you're really happy when the sun's out. I mean, we go days without seeing the sun sometimes. <laughs> and uh night creatures. Yeah, night creatures and so, you know, when you're down someplace warm and sunny and it's all about the atmosphere, you know, and that's what makes it working a lot better. Yeah. So just simple things like that make life easier. So San Diego, California, you know, um, San Francisco and New York are always nightmares. It's just too <laughs> crowded, too small and can't do anything. Yeah, I would say San Diego is probably my favorite place, favorite place to do a show. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: The AP Podcast has been sponsored by Epitaph Records, featuring new releases from Leathermouth, Thursday, Newfound Glory, and Bring Me the Horizon. For more information on all Epitaph Records news, release schedules, and exclusive videos and merch, sign on to epitaph.com. AP podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Robert Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is All My Fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium,
4: AP.